Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer a Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer a Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Everyday grab-and-go, everyday giftable, everyday fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification, and they're satisfying to scratch no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch. Now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only excludes Alaska and Hawaii. study. This is Ken McCusick. Today it's going to be a little bit confusing because I'm joined by another Ken, Ken Winkler. You may know him better as Hot in Here from the RSR boards. Ken, how are you doing today? Doing very well, Ken. How are you? No complaints on my end, you know, making making it through here. Hope you're staying healthy, your family as well, and really looking forward to football season actually, actually happening. Can't wait in the words of Bart Scott. There you go. All right, we're gonna we have an interesting topic today. This is one I saw you were you were discussing, uh, and and really wanted to get you involved and on a, on an episode here because this is a, this is a cool topic. This is what I call the right to fail, earning the right to fail. So uh, we're we're going to talk about some Ravens players who played well in some limited playing time initially, and then moved forward in their career, and either it worked out or it didn't in terms of uh, how their careers went forward. We have several examples of each, and uh, I'm going to let you kind of drive the car, Ken. Let's talk first, though, about 
where people can see your work, you uh, are, are primarily a poster on boards or do you do other things as well? No, I'm just a poster. I'm just a, a regular long, long time football fan back to the Baltimore Colts and um, and really have enjoyed uh, Russell Street Report, particularly your work. Thanks a lot for that. Um, so uh, that's that's pretty much it. I just I uh, really like to like to talk football and especially now it's a great diversion from everything else going on. Yeah, sure. Sure is. Boy. Uh, OK, so let's get to the topic at hand then. I'm going to let you introduce the first player. You know, we, we have some of the success stories. Maybe we start with them. You start always with the good news before the bad news. But let's talk about some players who earned playing time with some limited playing time and then made good on that uh, for the Baltimore Ravens in the past. Yeah, um, there are a lot of them. And I, I think uh, the, the first guy I have wanted to talk about, and I know you have thought about him as well, was Kelly Gregg. Um, there's there's a lot to talk about with him. He uh he definitely kind of bounced around a little bit, and at one point he was best known for breaking Jamal Lewis um, and ruining our 2001 season. And um, in a way, he doesn't quite fit this mold because he sort of got a battlefield promotion because that was the 2002 purge, and they really the Ravens gotten rid of everybody. Um, but, boy, he, he came in and, and just was a cornerstone for that defense for so, so long. Yeah, I, I would not call it a battlefield promotion, but that's okay. We can we, we disagree sometimes on the show, but 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 I wanted to go back to this a little bit. The 2001 Ravens had one of the deepest defensive lines in NFL history. Uh, it's a remarkable group because that had all the 2000 guys, and then additionally on that line were Adelis Thomas, who came up as a defensive tackle originally, and then became a guy who could play slot corner, safety, wherever you needed him to play. Uh, Kelly Gregg in 2001 was used as a situational pass rusher, which seems the most odd of all to longtime Ravens fans, because we certainly think, think of, of Kelly Gregg as a two down run defender. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's a, a nice uh, evolution. I, I wonder if actually that 2002 um, might have been the framework for the, the whole topic we're talking about here. I have to wonder, with, with so many guys kind of thrust into starting roles because of how many people we let go, if that kind of gave Ozzy and, and trickled down through the organization the idea that, hey, you know what, that, this is not a bad way to run things. And when this works out, this is great. Because remember, Ken, I mean, as Ravens fans, we went into that season and we were thinking, you know, this is going to be horrible. Who are these guys? You know, it was – and they finished up, what, 7-9 and nine and – and in the playoff hunt to the end, uh, you know, it actually was a good team. And a lot of cornerstones like Kelly Gregg jumped out in that year. Oh, very, very exciting year in terms of the first play, first playing time for, let's go through this, uh, Baxter and Demps and Ed Reed on the back end. In terms of it, at, uh, uh, on the defensive line, you had Kelly Gregg and Adelis Thomas and Anthony Weaver all getting their starts. Anthony Weaver, forgotten Raven today, but played. Uh, you know, basically every game of his of his time with the of his tenure with the Ravens. He had Ed Hartwell taking over for Ray Lewis on an injury basis there, and that went very well. And uh, you know, things just uh, in generally uh, worked out for this team in in that 2002 season. And it wasn't a great defense. You know, they ranked 22nd or something in the league, but it certainly was way ahead of where they were. And in 2003. They were, again, the, the dominant defense in the entire National Football League. Yeah, it was an amazing way to rebuild. And I, and I really do think that that started them on kind of or 
or certainly encouraged them to maybe look from within and because they were forced to at that point they didn't have the money they didn't have any capital to be able to go and and uh, pick up any kind of free agent help or somebody that they knew would be an immediate impact you know it was all right well these are the guys we got <laughs> for better or for worse these are the guys we got laying around so to speak that we've picked up and we've we've had them do this and that well let's let's throw them into a bigger role and see if they can make that work yeah and it was uh, it was certainly an interesting a, a good group of players a lot of UDFAs Kim Oyata was another guy on the defensive yeah. line we didn't mention I mean just an exceptional group of players that uh, that got it all done in that 2002 season as best they could and then in 2003 you became a really dominant unit together um, it's uh, Greg an interesting part of that obviously he he transformed himself as a player over the years and became an incredibly productive interior defensive line tackler, which is something you don't often see out of pure nose techs and one techs is that they end up piling up tackles the way Kelly Gregg did. But he was remarkable in that respect. Yeah, he played the leverage game like like nobody else, college wrestler. Um, and he, he, he really, you know, I, I think all the guys we're going to talk about, they were all guys who were undrafted free agents or um, low round uh, draftees or um, people we didn't sink a lot of capital to. So in other words, they had flaws, right? You know, if, if you don't have any, if you're not too small or too slow or uh, run a limited route tree or whatever, you're going at the top of the draft. So these guys had kind of um, gotten, we got more value for them and then found out where they worked well. And it turned out that Kelly Gregg was, Really good at holding up at the point of attack and um, and and letting uh, Ray get to the football and he, he's uh, uh, one of also one of those unsung guys that you just you had to love you know watching you know you got that picture of him the little squatty body and the, the way you run on the field you know just uh, it really conjures that era up. Yeah, very very uh, very fun player to watch certainly and and uh, yeah just. If, in many ways, he exemplified the Ravens' defense of that entire era in terms of being a very hardworking unit. They had playmakers, too, of course, with Reed and Lewis and, and others, C-Mac. But, uh, but that group was, uh, was really special. And, and that 2002 season, despite the fact that it ultimately was not successful, is still one of my favorites to kind of go through and enjoy the games again. And, uh, and in real time, was, uh, was one of my favorites as well. Yeah, agreed. It was a season not much was expected from, and, and you know, you, you really have to feel fortunate as a, as a Ravens fan. That was the only rebuild this organization's ever gone through. They swore they weren't ever going to do it again, and it, it really wasn't that painful. You know, you look at some other organizations that have been rebuilding since, uh, you know, the, the Johnson presidency. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> or longer, in the case of the Lions, I guess. Um, you know, and you really got to feel lucky looking at that. Yeah, very, very, very good. The team did not get caught again in the same sort of cap hell. I mean, the Flacco contract wasn't a great one, but they were in a lot worse position after 2001. I think people don't realize just how much the window was closing for that 2000 team when they actually put it together. It didn't seem like it should have been because the Ravens hadn't been successful to that point. But it was. It was already closing on that team in terms of the, the free agents. And even though Ozzie had had a tremendous run of success with free agents, it really was the end of the line on that on that group right at that point. 
Well, and, and this what we're talking about is is huge as, in terms of how the Ravens have built their team and managed to sustain success because, you know, yeah, you can get a superstar here or there, and they've been great with that. But until you can get undervalued in, in terms of what capital you've spent on them, you get positions closed up by a Kelly Gregg or, or, or some of the other, you know, later round, mid-round guys we'll be talking about. You know, that's enormous, you know, and when you fail, as we saw, you know, with safety, when when we had the Matt Elam fiasco and, and spent all that capital fee, free agents and trying to fill that need, you know, that's how teams get stuck in that rut. Whereas the Ravens, not only now are they able to get these value guys, but this is a desired destination if you're an undrafted guy because, you know, you're going to get a chance to play and then we'll use you for a few years and maybe we flip you for a comp pick. And so, you know, you turn a UDFA into a fourth round pick and get the productivity out of it. I mean, that's the way to sustain success in the salary cap era. Yeah, it's you're 100 percent on the right. In fact, basically, to me, 100 percent of a GM's job or the largest portion, let me say, of a GM's job is basically figuring out how can I beat the cap on a player by player and position by position basis. And so I, I need to, I need to go through and figure out how can I acquire a player and pay him less than what his true value on the field is going to be. And when you get on the free agent treadmill and I, you know, you mentioned safety, but I think wide receiver may be the best example in Ravens history of the Ravens, just not being able to draft successfully there and continually getting on these treadmills of wide receivers. And occasionally they've hit on one, like Bolden, who they traded for, or Steve Smith, who was, you know, certainly a quality player. But for long periods of times, you know, they've been circulating through Jeremy Macklin and Crabtree and a bunch of guys who are done. And, yeah. you know, it's it's just you overpay for those guys and then they uh, they don't produce. And, and that's where you're spending the money that you're saving all those other positions. That's why I'm very excited about this year and, you know, all the talk about signing Antonio Brown for the many reasons I don't want that to happen Probably the biggest one is I don't want to get on that merry-go-round again. Let's let these young guys, you know, get the right to fail, so to speak. Uh, you know, let them let them jump up and and see what they can do. I would rather, you know, watch uh, Boykin and Duvernay and Prochet not get it done this year than watch them sitting on the sidelines and have a couple of um, retread end of their career wide receivers running around on the field. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, great discussion here, but let's move on to the next the next player on your list, maybe who's a earned the right to fail player. Yeah. Uh, well, Rick Wagner um, was a guy that, you know, he, he came in for a later round pick, um, actually had gotten was even listed as a starter and had gotten a lot of snaps. He was kind of that uh, that sixth uh, lineman in a lot of the. Um, that, that we were using, I guess you'd probably know more than I would, but that seemed to be a year there was heavy tackle eligible uh, plays. And, um, but then we let go of, of Michael Orr. Um, and I remember the fan base as often is the case when you hear about this um, being very, well, we don't have anybody to play right tackle. Who's going to play right tackle? You know, I mean, we've, we've seen this with Wagner. We've seen this with, with Jensen. We've seen this with, with other guys where the fan base is going, well, I saw that guy. He's no good, you know. Well, it turns out that, as Ozzy said, players do get better. And sometimes they know they've got a guy in-house because they have let him, you know, develop um, and uh, get in the weight room and learned some, get some coaching. And, um, and, and he became a, 
I, th- I think he's still one of the top paid right tackles in the league right now. Yeah, high-quality high player, and he was terrific when he was with the Ravens, limited in some ways, but, uh, but certainly an, an outstanding player. Uh, I loved about him that he had great back pylon of the pocket um, skills. He, he didn't have the very quickest feet, but he had the ability, and something I want to see from Orlando Brown as well, as a guy who could push somebody to the very back pylon. In fact, I had to watch a lot of Rick Wagner snaps over and over again to really see if I would credit him, or sorry, charge him with the pressure on individual plays because he was always so close in terms of managing that back pylon, but usually keeping the keeping the player, you know, fanned out and towards six o'clock as 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 opposed to invading that cone the quarterback needs clean to throw. And I really I, I really like that about him. Terrific player. I was sad to see him go when he did. It's nice the Ravens got a nice comp pick in exchange for him. And uh, and honestly, really sad he got injured in his very first year with the Lions. Yeah, he had a much different game than than Michael Orr. And I think Orr looked so much better. You know, he was much more athletic and 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 on on paper maybe was would have been the better player. But in practicality, Wagner was more exactly what we needed, uh, especially, you know, who was in the pocket uh, at the time when when. He was uh, protecting that pocket. Right. That's a great point. You know, it's, and it might have been that either could have worked with Lamar Jackson. But uh, with Joe Flacco, they really did need someone who could keep that pocket clean. And, and, uh, and it's a, that's a terrific point. Uh, Michael Orr, there's so many things I'm dissatisfied about that. There's a guy who didn't earn the right to fail. He was just drafted number one, but failed nonetheless as a Raven. And, and uh, career was a freaking ski slope in terms of his, uh, his performance after yes. that first year at right tackle. Yeah, he failed gradually. You know, he uh, he got a, he gave you some hope coming in that you thought, okay, this is going to be the thing. But instead of getting better, you know, it's it's almost like that Kyle Bowler trajectory where when he came in, you're thinking, okay, this guy might be the guy, and you know, he for a rookie, not too bad. All right, this, but then just the exact opposite slope of the way you want that to go. Yeah, yeah, very much. All right, so. Uh, that's good. There's some other linemen on the list. Ryan Jensen is a guy I like in terms of uh, uh, earned the right to fail playing guard. Then you know was told at the end of the 2016 season that they wanted him to come in and compete for the starting center job in 2017. Uh, did so, did so very effectively, and was one of the really good centers in the league that year. Uh, earned a huge payday on his way out of the Ravens. And once again, another one of these guys, the, the Ravens get him cheap in the mid to late rounds and they really work out for the Ravens and then also leave with a nice parting gift of a compensatory pick. Yeah. Yeah. And he was, you know, you loved his attitude and everything. I, he was a guy, I guess, came into form partly by figuring out a health issue that, that he had with the sleep apnea. And sometimes, you know, it takes something like that with a, for a player to, to start to be productive. But I think, you know, as fans, we saw him in preseason and uh, maybe in some relief roles and everybody was thoroughly unimpressed by the guy. And when we came into that season, I, I want to say Urschel, Jensen, there were a couple of guys duking it out for center and everybody was thinking, no, we don't have anybody. You know, Urschel quit and uh, and Jensen just jumped in and, and played really well and added a, um, you know, I mean, in that Miami game, I, you know, you can still remember him after yes. that shot on Joe Flacco jumping in there and, Boy, that that's the kind of guy you want. It reminded me of uh, of Zeus Brown Sr. 
You know, you want one guy like that. He's probably going to be good for a 15-yarder every couple games against you. But at the same time, you know, he's he's that enforcer like in a hockey rink, you know. That's, I was just thinking the same thing. You want you want that one hockey goon on your team that can go and take care of your other – any problems happening when they're uh, when they're cross-checking Nick Backstrom or whoever it might be. Anyway, uh, uh the play from uh, from Jensen was uh, was really terrific. In terms of penalties, by the way, he had three holding calls that year in week one against Cincinnati. And I thought, uh-oh, that's, this is going to be a problem I can see going on. He was not penalized again the rest of the season except for one penalty that occurred, I believe, at the end of a half. That didn't I didn't end up tagging him with points on the scoring system for it because it, it, uh, it didn't really impact anything. So he, he was very clean in terms of his play after that very first game. Wasn't he penalized at that Miami game? Or I guess I'm misremembering. No, that. no, no. He he yeah. took a big shot, no flag thrown. Oh. But you're 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 exactly remembering it correctly. I, I remember you know diving over the pile and yeah. hammering hammering Kiko Alonso. And I guess yeah. I just assumed there was going to be a flag because that is absolutely should have been. And I, I'm glad the refs at least for once didn't get the guy who retaliated me. Yeah, it's a uh, fair enough in that particular situation. Uh, another guy that falls into the same group, Tony Pashos. Uh, perhaps a guy who really had a lot of trouble earning his first playing time with the Ravens. He was competing with, with uh, Zeus and finally got some of that in 2005, which was his next to last year as a Raven. A lot of these guys, by the way, they, they get to this point. They're in oftentimes the third year, sometimes even the fourth, and they're just getting their first time, which is unfortunate because you really want to figure out before then what you have with a player. Yeah, that's, you know, there are times that that's uh, on coaching. Um, You know, you think of the Paul Kruger scenario where it was, well, is he a defensive lineman? Is he a linebacker? Is he a pass rusher? Should he gain weight or lose weight? And, you know, all of those kinds of things. And, uh, and, And he finally, the light comes on. You win a Super Bowl, fortunately. And then he's out the door and you think, man, we, we wasted three years of this guy. But, you know, for other guys, sometimes it just, it takes a little while for them to get to that level. And Ken, I, I do think that we have gotten to a point where we don't have to let these guys go so much. You know, a lot's been made of Eric uh, DaCosta, you know, signing guys proactively and long term, and and kudos to him. But part of the reason he's been able to do that is because he hasn't been up against the salary cap. Yes. Like uh, you know, when we had to pay Haloti and Ed and Ray and Joe and Ray Rice and Pitta and you know everybody else. Yeah, it's that's a great point. Is is really the the they have not only have they got the salary cap back in good shape, and obviously having a, having a quarterback on a rookie deal is at the heart of that discussion, but they've also leveraged that well into some excellent multi-year signings of players that that were a year early. So Chuck Clark is certainly in that group, and uh, you know it's, it's terrific that they're able to to find the guys they really want to continue. I guess the other guy would be um, Alan Rick. Sorry, Alan Ricard. I want to keep calling that Patrick Ricard. Yep, yep. And they got in on Boyle early, and uh, you know that was a lot of fans were upset about that, and a lot even nationally, a lot of people were like, "Why are you spending this much money?" The guy look at his receiving numbers. Well, that's that tells me you're looking at the uh, the box score and never watch a Ravens game. You know? That's that's right. I, I really thought they might have an opportunity to get him cheap because he was. He was at his free agent point actually, so he hadn't he he wasn't an early signing in Boyle's case, right. but it still it still was a very good signing. And around the league, 
there was a lot of teams that really wanted a blocking tight end who could also catch the ball. New England was among those teams that really wanted him. So I, the demand for him made it so that you couldn't really look at his past in terms of suspensions and and whatnot and get a uh, get a true bargain price. But since then, I mean, things have all been good. He hasn't he hasn't made a mistake like that again. And uh, you know, obviously, he's played very well. Yeah, agreed. He is. Uh, he has been done done a great job. All right, let's introduce the next player. Who do you want to talk about? Well, uh, let's let's talk about the uh, the guy you love to talk about, Anthony Levine. Um, there you go. You know, Anthony Levine. Uh, I, he was high on both our lists, and I mean, really, when you think of this kind of player, this is the guy. He had uh, one defensive snap in his first two years, and um, and he he played a lot on special teams and. That certainly is a good way to be one of these guys is to play special teams because you're going to be a bottom of the roster guy and you need to play. You need to show the coaches that, hey, if you ask, it's just like it's your, your regular day, work job. You know, when you go to work, if you want more responsibility, well, you certainly better be doing what I ask you to do and doing it well and doing it right. You know, if you're messing up everything, then don't come asking me to do more. And Levine really just hung around, made his value on special teams and became, uh, as you've well documented, an integral part of the uh, the past defense, especially in, in 17 and 18. Right. And, and uh, it, it was an interesting thing because I, I, I have to talk about this a little bit, although people have heard me heard me say it before. But Dean Pease uh, really hated the dime defense. And it showed up like nobody's business in his first five years of his six-year tenure at defensive coordinator. They played only 3% dime snaps the entire time. And that's 3% dime or quarter. So six or seven defensive backs on the field. Levine actually played a lot of versatile – showed a lot of versatility before then in terms of ability to play slot corner, deep safety. Everywhere they needed him to plug in, he did. But just they didn't – they hadn't used him at Dimeback. Well, all of a sudden, I showed up at camp. and It was was the year before that in 2015, and Anthony Levine was working out with the linebackers. He wasn't working out with the defensive backs anymore. And so I asked the question about it. And and Harbaugh then went into this long thing about how the dime, uh, you know, we, we need to get everybody ready to play that dime position. But it was very clear that, that uh, Levine was going to be used in that way. And then somehow we held off using him again until Mosley was hurt in uh, in 2016. And then he uh, uh, he did uh, get on the field for some snaps that year. And then, of course, in, in 2018, sorry, in 2017, that was. And then in 2018. Uh, he had the best year ever by a Ravens dime back and just took over ball games, and particularly the one at the win at Pittsburgh with three drive-ending passes defensed in the fourth quarter. Yeah, he he really uh, was a guy who took the made the most of his opportunity because, as you alluded to, he played all over the place. Uh, I think it was in um, uh, in 2014 when we had that mash unit in the you know with the. Uh, yep. Danny Gore and Rashawn Melvin and that playoff loss to the Patriots that uh, where we just could not stop them because but Levine was jumping all over the place and he played a, a lot of defensive snaps. And then the next year, 10 snaps total on defense. And uh, that just, you know, you, I guess they they didn't they weren't quite sure what they had or how to use him at that point. But he certainly when he got his opportunities, he, he made the most of it. Yeah, a very impressive player, and and you know it's it's kind of his own 
uh, nightmare that Chuck Clark comes along the year after he's had this great year yeah. and he has an even better year as a dime back who can also play as the second safety. So, you know, you, ha- you have Earl Thomas is always going to be on the field. Then you had Chuck Clark, who's not only the defensive signal caller, but also takes over the dime back role. And you put in Chuck, uh, you put in Carr on the back end of that defense rather than a Levine in the dime back role. And honestly, it, it worked out so well, they really couldn't change it back, but it limited Levine snaps to only the quarter, which is kind of a shame for a guy who got his first chance so damn late in his career. Uh, a lot of people don't realize Anthony Levine has played 112 consecutive ball games now for the Ravens. Wow. And, and you know, there just aren't that many people, but he's played seven full years. He was picked up in 2012 after some time with the Eagles, but, but, but played two games that year. And then, and then from 13 to 19 and played every single game. Yeah. You know, he is a guy. And also, you know, don't, don't overlook that, that uh, co-cap role. You know, he was not only played special teams, not only played them well, but also became a captain. Um, Shows you a lot. You know, they, they very much, uh, value that sort of thing they've said as much coming out of college when you have guys who were captains leaders uh, that that holds a lot of sway and it'll keep you around long enough until you do get your shot which is kind of what happened for Levine and unfortunately as you said he didn't get his shot until he was older and and now you're running into the well other guys are younger and cheaper thing you just barely got started and now you're you're kind of on the backside. but uh, right. He's a very fortunate case in Levine. I mean, he's now 33 and a half, basically. He's born in March of 1987. So, uh, you know, this will be his age 33 season. That's an old man to be playing football for sure. Uh, was a 25-year-old rookie in 2012. So that gives you an idea that, that you know, he got a kind of a late start as well. Uh, in, in his case, uh, he is one of the guys really benefiting from the NFL's reduced cap cost that he can he can earn more money but have a reduced cap cost, right. and he that's a reason why you keep a player like that around. Very smart player. Obviously, he's done a lot of things well. I thought it was kind of unfortunate for him that he got included on this council last year. Remember that? With yes. The, uh, yeah. And 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 that thing really did not work out. It fell apart pretty quickly in terms of the play of the individuals on the field. So uh, Peanut was in that group and. Uh, and Levine, Judon, of course, was in the group, and I'm forgetting who the fourth guy was. Tony Jefferson? Yeah, you're right. Tony Jefferson's obviously, he got yeah. cut. And then they had two guys that were in waiting, and one of them was Marlon Humphrey, and I'm thinking, well, why wasn't he? He was the team's MVP the year before. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and the other guy was um, uh, Deshaun Elliott, who obviously you know was hurt and didn't get playing time. But uh, yeah. it, kind of an unfortunate group to have leading the defense or, or projecting themselves as leaders of the defense. Well, it reminds me of that, uh, the, the little cabal of Ray Lewis, uh, Corey Fuller and Deion Sanders when, uh, you know, they weren't really the most productive and probably that was the beginning of the end for Billick. It, it meant that Harbaugh's first few years trying to get control of a locker room that had gotten way out of control were, were even more difficult. You know, those, those leadership groups can be really good, but they can, uh, they have a downside to them as well. Yeah. Bill, Bill James has often made the comment for baseball that the best leadership comes from the best players. 
And so when you have your leadership coming from players that are not great or, or are not exemplary or whatever, um, that's a problem. And then you also may have to cut that guy. So if, the, if, if he's not the best player, so you have that problem as well, that your, your clubhouse becomes unhappy. Yeah, that's uh, one of the going back to the Antonio Brown thing and a like, little digression. But a lot of people are saying, oh, we should bring him in because Lamar really likes him. Well, that's great. But what if you have to cut him then? Mm-hmm. You know, and now isn't it better to just not bring him in at all than to bring him in and, and you know, Lamar and Hollywood, hey, we got our guy. But then you have to cut him for some reason that that could get even worse than not bringing him in in the first place. Yeah, it, it definitely something that needs to be considered, obviously, with Brown. But uh but yeah, I, I, let's get back to the topic at hand here Indeed. in terms of players. Is there? Are, how, are we ready to move on to some guys who didn't work out, or do you have anybody else you want to talk about who did work out in terms of earning playing time and uh, uh, doing well in a limited role before you got big-time playing time? Um, I, I, ju- I just wanted to mention Zach Orr because he fit in with this. Uh, you know, the, the coaching, the fact that he is a coach on this team now, I think he's a guy that um, – you know, ultimately, we went to as a replacement for Daryl Smith. He did very, very well. And, um, you know, he, he uh, unfortunately, uh, because of the neck injury, wasn't able to stay or we might not have gone through the peanut and Kenny Young part that, that sparked this discussion. And, and hey, I'm, I'm very glad to have uh, two brand new uh, inside linebackers this year. Very excited to see what Queen can do. But if you think about it, if that position had already been filled, we get a free first round draft pick, which there also would have been very nice, you know. Yeah, I, I feel the same way about it. In fact, I feel like it's it, the Ravens did not do a good job of economizing at a position where they'd always been able to find talent very cheaply and or the latest in a very long line of outstanding UDFA linebackers. In fact, they're low round guys, Mike Smith, Jordan Phillips, those kind of guys. Tavares Gooden is a mid round pick, but they didn't really work out that well. It's all the UDFAs that were outstanding for the Ravens. Yeah. And that's, uh, you know, I think one of the keys to the Ravens success, um, and this is all speculative, Um, But they seem to be more than other teams indifferent to once you're in the building, unless you're a high first round pick or an expensive free agent, they don't care. You're just a football player at that point. And so they don't get married to, well, we got this guy who's a third round pick and this guy who's an undrafted free agent. Well, we should stick with the third round pick because the scouts really liked him and he's got better film and a higher upside. I don't think they do that. I think that, you know, once they get out on the football field, they it's, it's hey, guys, it's an even playing field. You get out there and play. And whoever's the best is going to get the job. And that's another reason why it becomes easier to sign those UDFAs here. We just got to, I mean, you got to really like the crop we, we brought in this year. Year. There's, you know, very some draftable guys, and and we we find guys every year out of that process. They're free players, you know, no yeah. no capital almost spent on them. Right. I mean, no draft capital, and then the, as little as you can spend on them in cap capital as yeah. well. But the Ravens, I think it's the Ravens understanding how much they need to get value from some of those. That's what's driving that. So you're you're yet yeah, it's true once you're in the building we don't care but in especially we don't care if you're Jaleel Scott and you were drafted two years ago and it's that you're in the you're a in your third year and you're up against somebody who doesn't have any pro experience and and we can have you for four years cheap you do not have an advantage yes. <laughs> and you shouldn't have an advantage in fact, because you have a disadvantage. yeah yeah you got to outplay that that UDFA rookie and and you should have to outplay him so uh, I think they've been good. There's only one player in Ravens history that I really want to point to 
as a guy they held on to way too long relative to who he was. And that was Devon Drew, who was a yes. favorite of Ozzy's, and they just held on to that pick a long time. Yeah, yeah. He just never morphed into anything. And I, I, I don't know, was he ever um, – that was in the, the Todd Heap uh, years, um, or was that post-Heap? I think I think he played in the, on the same team with Heap. Uh, no, no, he didn't, because he's all – Okay, I'm going to go back to it. I thought he was a, a about a 2011 draft, but I'm checking on it. Okay, let's see. Yeah, 2009 actually is was when he was in the combine, so that's when they drafted him. And Heaps last year was I think 10, and that's where you know you had uh, it, it was kind of interesting how they were trying to sort out their their tight end situation through that time, and you had the Dixon Pitta draft where. Um, and I think Drew was still on the team then. Yes. They drafted Dixon, and Pitta was almost the afterthought. You know, Dixon was supposed to be the wide receiver skills at tight end. This was following in the the Gronk Hernandez. Everybody, you know, let's let's copy the Patriots, get two tight ends, and dominate the world. And um, and and I I think Pitta was really kind of after Drew, after after Dixon, that afterthought. But then he kept actually catching the ball, you know, and actually making plays. You know, he had five targets his first year, and then he was well behind Dixon in targets his second year, and by his 2012, he was the guy. Well, I mean, he was Joe Flacco's best friend on the team. That helps. So, so that, yeah, that certainly was a big deal. And uh, so he was a 2010 draftee and got five targets, and next year he had 56 Uh it, it uh, I actually met them together once going to the movies together. So I got a picture with Joe Flacco. Yeah, this was in 2010 in Pitta's rookie year. And Pitta was there and it was it, it should have been obvious to me. It was obvious to me that he was a Raven, but I couldn't place him exactly. It was who he was. So I got my picture taken with Joe Flacco and Pitta had to stand off to the side and watch it happen. So anyway, I thought that was kind of funny. I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure being Flacco's best friend helped, but that 2011 season, Dixon only caught 60% of his targets, and that's very bad for a tight end. And uh, you know, Pitta was 70%. So that performing on the field is also how you. I, I think a quarterback, whether he likes you or not, you better catch the ball when he throws it to you, or you're not going to be getting it much more. And even though Dixon was going for some longer balls, they used him yeah. on on more long balls. Still, that really isn't acceptable. Pitta did did have one year. Well, he had some years under sixty percent. In fact, he had a year at Carolina at fifty three percent of of balls caught. Well, it's only ten of nineteen. Yeah. 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 And yet he put it together a long career. He hung around yeah. for a while. Yeah. I'm still playing as late as two thousand eighteen. So. All right, so we've talked about some of the guys who really worked out. Let's talk about a couple of the guys that didn't work out. And I think we've got we've got we all know one from last year uh, that we could talk about. Or, but I'll let you start it up. Yeah, well, this um, uh, you know certainly from from last year, the the conversation came about here from a post on Russell Street report report talking about how uh, Peanut had gotten the, earned the the right to fail, and. Um, you know, it's he did really well when asked to do certain limited things, but you see it all over sports. You know, the guy who is the good middle reliever gets to, asked to be the closer, can't do it. You know, a guy who is a great number two on one team gets signed to be the number one on another team, can't do it. You know, and, and that was just the way it was with Peanut, disappointing, but um, he just wasn't up to it. 
Yeah, they, they asked a lot of him. It was a big change to move from Will to Mike, and it's an even bigger change to move from limited Will to Mike and Signal Caller, and it was a lot for him to put together. So in 2018, just to recap, he played 42% of the defensive snaps, split that position fairly evenly with Kenny Young and Anthony Levine, who each got about 30% of the snaps. Um, to, together, they had outstanding count numbers. And Levine was a terrific pass defender playing the high leverage downs. He had Kenny Young doing some effective pass rushing, a good downhill player. Peanut uh, did a number of good things. I like, liked him being second to the ball a lot of the times. So he would make a play on it. Uh, certainly had a nose for the football on the ground and doing some of those things. Had that big, very big play we'll all remember uh, that really sealed the San Diego game, knocking the ball free from tight end. who's a, It's a long-term tight end there, right, who made, who made the catch, Gates? Gates, and, yeah. and then uh, Young ran it back for the touchdown to seal that game. Yeah. So that, that effectively put us in the playoffs at that point, although it took right. Mosley's interception to finish it. But anyway, it was it, he had done so much well in that 2018 season. I guess they felt like in the absence of a linebacker, they had to give him that full-time mic role. I was calling all during that offseason for, for hiring a veteran mic, or drafting one would have been fine also, by the way, but 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 – you know, basically going out and signing a veteran, Mike, like Zach Brown was a guy I was, I was in favor, would have been in favor of sticking him there and keeping that linebacking platoon at the will in, in place. Yeah. You know, I, I, I get that, but I think that this kind of, um, this approach, you're going to fail sometimes when you, when you try and, and do it from within. So yes, you could have gotten a Zach Brown, just like you could get a wide receiver, a proven wide receiver for the Ravens this year, but, and, and maybe we should have, but we ultimately did, but um, I, you don't really know somebody is going to fail until you, you give them the chance to try. And I, I'm, I have to assume peanut had done enough that the coaching staff felt, yeah, this guy can probably, he's got the smarts. He understands things. I assume, um, can I, he probably played in pretty restricted down and distance situations in that platoon. I mean, Levine would have been oh, yeah. for the, so there, there was a lot of types of plays. He did not have to defend very much the previous year. A lot of things he probably hadn't seen. Um, so, you know, you never know until you try, but uh, that was one of the ones that, uh, yeah. It's, would... it's kind of at the basis of this whole thing is, is that you, you have to draw that fine line where you shouldn't over promote the guy, but there's no, no question about it. He had earned the right to fail. I I'd say he would have earned the right to fail as a full-time will before they made him a full-time Mike and signal caller, because it was really the signal calling, I think, which was, which was clipping him in, in part. It wasn't all being a little undersized to play the mic and getting caught up in the wash too much. Cause they knew some of that stuff already. Right. And, and, they could have not given him the green dot. They did have safeties back there that they could have given to, and, and that might have been a better thing to do. Um, you know, I still look at the cost benefit of it. I mean, it, it did fail, and it probably cost us a, a couple games, you know, the Cleveland game. Uh, but the flip side of it is let's say it had succeeded. Well, again, you get that first round pick back this year because you don't need Patrick Queen because you've got your, your mic of the future in and you've got him relatively inexpensively at this point, you know, and he might not be as good an all around player as Patrick Queen might turn out to be. But at the same time, he's going to be a lot less expensive and you can allocate those resources somewhere else. So 
if you get a Zach Brown in now, okay, so you've got Zach Brown, you got to pay him or you've got to replace him at some point as he gets older and who are you replacing him with? You know, again, you still have to develop, devote some resources to it. Yeah. It's anything would have been a bandaid other than, uh, well, Owasso actually also would have been a bandaid because he was, he was coming up on free agency and they would have had to pay him too. So, so part of the thing was that before the 2018, 19 season, they offered Owasso a big contract. And when I say a big contract, it was probably, you know, three to four million dollars a year for three to four years kind of thing. And he didn't yeah. take it. And, uh, you know, the Ravens are frankly very fortunate that he didn't. Yeah, that's true. And, and you know, you take those gambles when you when you pay players ahead of time. Um, but, you know, if he had, I guess they would have instead of letting him go, they would have just uh, held on to him. He would have continued to play uh, some will and. And maybe they would have just backed him off to his other role. But it sounds like also there was an argument with him and, and Harbaugh at uh, practice. And I, I think there was maybe some things going on that it was best to cut ties for all concerned at that point. Right. Well, I mean, he, he wasn't signed beyond the season, so it didn't, it didn't make the decision very hard. Yeah. If he had been, though. Oh, if he had been, yes. If he had been, that would have been. They'd still keep him. They just, he wouldn't be your Mike. He'd be a. Maybe slightly overpaid Will. Okay, there you go. And it, Will. They would have had to decide if, if they could if they really could afford to release him for cap purposes after one season of say a three or four year deal. It would have been it, it would have been it would have complicated the situation at a minimum to have him around. I remember the the thing with Harbaugh. I think what happened there at practice was probably a forgivable instance, at least of, of the various things you can do to get in Harbaugh's doghouse. You can be a complete slacker, which is what I, I understand Tim Williams was. Right. You know, basically, you didn't want to play special teams. You'd only, you know, you'd be like Earl Williams because you're, you're an old Colts fan. You certainly remember Earl Williams from, yes, the, from the 70s. And Oriole was a, was a guy the Orioles acquired at great cost from the Atlanta Braves, yep. came in to play catcher. Earl Weaver spends eight pages in a book of his talking about him, and, and it's just it's hilarious. He would always come back, and he was, he was intelligent. He would say, I really want to try and correct my, you know, my – deficiencies and work hard to, to think and he would for a couple of days and then he'd stop again and, you know, so tim williams was probably that kind of a player and I, you know the, the 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 line i'm drawing between him and awasa is i think awasa was very frustrated about playing time sure. he, he envisioned a bigger role he didn't have it anymore and he you know he thought he wasn't you know getting the chance that he was due and and you know maybe that's the flip side of some of this is that when a guy's earned the right to fail you have to kind of live with some of that crap. <laughs> so Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's a tough decision to make, you know, a lot, the player always thinks he can do it. And, and, you know, I'm sure peanut is going, no, I, I could have made that, but I just, you know, somebody else did something wrong or, you know, there, a lot of times competitive players, they believe they can get the job done and they just lack the opportunity. And you want athletes who believe in themselves, but when that opinion is not shared by management, um, you're going to have some, some butting of heads. And yeah, I don't think that Harbaugh took that personally, but I think peanut felt like maybe he was not given going to be given the opportunity here to the extent that he wanted it. Once it was clear that that when they brought in uh, Fort and Bynes that uh, his, he wasn't going to have the opportunity again to take over that Mike role. Yeah. Very decisive fix. uh, And, and one you, you like to see guy earned the right to fail. He did. At least he failed quickly as opposed to you know, taking longer for the organization to figure it out and you know, kind of living with their mistake for a little while longer. They, they addressed it very quickly and, and uh, 
and corrected it uh, dramatically in the 2019 season. Definitely. Yeah. You have another player you want to talk about? Yeah, well, certainly another guy who, who was given the, the chance to fail uh, and and definitely did was Tandon Doss. Um, he was a guy who actually had gotten a lot of run in the uh, return game and with, with some success. Um, but he... Uh, he eventually, and I think he was the one, Joe Flacco actually, they, they, he lobbied for him as a draft pick. How much this played into anything, who knows. But I know there was a player that Joe Flacco was directly involved in the decision making, or that was the legend, and, uh, and I think it was Tandon Doss. But um, the, he was part of the justification for letting Bolden walk, was that we were going to give Tandon Doss the shot. And um, he did not do much with it at all. Uh, 50% uh, catch percentage on just a, you know, a handful of, of targets and, and no real production, nothing to speak of. And, and was passed on the depth chart by a lot of people who uh, shouldn't be passing you on the depth chart. If you're a good NFL wide receiver. I mean, it's a good point because the Ravens didn't really have a lot of good alternatives in that era. We're talking, he was drafted in 11, so in 12, they had options, but he only really was he was targeted 17 times. Uh, he, that was a lot more than he deserved, by the way, back then. One of the things about Tannen Doss was he was targeted much more than his play would have ever dictated. And I think part of that was being a favorite of Flacco when he was on the field. Uh, I just for whatever reason, um, he, he got more targets than than would be. Uh, expected from a player of his uh, of his makeup and and success rate, but you mentioned you know forty seven point three percent career catch percentage at wide receiver. Uh, you know it's 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 bad. <laughs> uh, he did he did have some decent yards per reception, but you know it's 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 he is part of the reason in terms of the drafting of him, a guy in the fourth round that didn't work out, that the Ravens end up getting uh, you know going after a lot of free agents at wide receiver that further have hurt them in terms of cap. So, you know, you hope that they could, uh, they could get it right occasionally with a draft pick, but they've, they had a bunch of guys who fell in a similar category. Demetrius Williams, probably a little bit more successful version of Tandon Doss. Right. Uh, you know, they had other guys in the mid rounds that they drafted in that era. Marcus Smith comes to mind who never even got a single reception uh, in his NFL career. He did uh, draw a huge pass interference penalty in the end zone in the 2008 playoff game. Yes, he did. But, uh, yeah, I, I want to mention one more name, if you don't mind. Um, yeah, Ronnie Prude. It was a guy in 2006 who really did a, a terrific job on that great defense, uh, taking advantage of an opportunity for limited playing time. He had a couple picks, including a, a pick six against New Orleans in the game there, and really looked like he was headed for a, a bigger role in 2007, particularly when the Ravens had a another one. You call it a mash unit. I call it the uh, street of dying men kind of year <laughs> in the secondary. Have you seen that that yeah. one shot from Gone with the Wind? Yeah. But anyway, he uh, Ronnie Prude uh, got his opportunity like everybody did in that season and, and really proved that he was not the guy, uh, you know, unfortunately. Yeah, but, you know, again, the cost of, of letting a guy try to prove they're the guy and – uh, let them do it, and if they don't, you move on. Um, you know, for the most part, it's not gonna it's not gonna cost you a whole lot unless you um, don't have a plan B or unless it's a position like 
quarterback, you know, when you, uh, you know, when you have, um, whether it's Jackson or Bowler or Flacco, you know, when you, when you do something like that, when you're all in on a guy, you're all in on the guy, but that's not really, uh, uh, giving somebody the right to fail. That's a, Hey, we took you in the first round and you know, we do it. You're going to have to make it work. Yeah, it's more like Stony Case would more be the kind of guy right. in Ravens history who earned the right to fail in the preseason with some heroics and then actually failed in the regular season. Derek Anderson was another one who earned the right to fail in the preseason and never got the chance to fail with this team and, and actually had some success uh, elsewhere. That's a good one. That's a good one. Well, Ken, I tell you what, this has been a fantastic discussion. Love to have you on again for another another discussion of this type got a good knowledge of Ravens history that it's easy to have this, this conversation in a, in a relatively drilled down fashion. I really appreciate you coming on. That's because I'm an old guy, Ken, and uh, old guys remember stuff. That's what we do. We got to stick together. <laughs> got to stick together. Uh, t- tell me, uh, you've, you've got a handle on Twitter and a handle on RSR. Tell us about those so people can contact you if they want to tell you how, how well you did. Yeah, you'll you'll see me throwing my two cents in on Russell Street Report all the time. It's uh, at hot in here, not the Nelly spelling with two R's, just the plain old English spelling with one R. Uh, on Twitter, I am Nundrum. That's none like a sister wearing a habit, and drum like the musical instrument that Neil Pert invented. Um, and uh, yeah, hit me up. Tell me what you think. Ask. Me, let's talk some football because God knows we got nothing else to do these days. <laughs> All right, Ken. Uh, I, another uh, thing I want to remind people is that it's easy enough to get on a, a film study short. And I, all I'm looking for is people like Ken. All I'm looking for is people like Ken who have a good knowledge of football, a focused topic. Give me about three sentences or bullet points in terms of what you want to talk about with me. Uh, contact me directly uh, on Twitter via DM at Film Study Ravens, or you can you can give me an email, filmstudy21 at verizon.net. And we'll have you on very quick. These have a very quick turnaround to them. Uh, Ken provided me with one of the most impressive um, framings of this topic I've ever seen. It's a word document. It made it look pretty. It had all this information with it, and and I, you know, it was it was over the top in terms of 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 what I expect for this. I really, in, in terms of this, three bullet points about what you want to talk to is fine, and we will craft a show together. And in some ways. I prefer people don't go too far in, in putting it together ahead of time because it's better if we can if we can mold the topic together and have it be very focused. So, Ken, thank you for doing that because it's a great topic, very interesting. Thank you again for coming on. It was a lot of fun, Ken. Thank you for all your work. I can't tell you how much uh, I, my wife and I really enjoy all of the stuff that you do. We've learned an awful lot from you, and we certainly appreciate it. A lot of fun. Thanks a lot. All right. Very much appreciate, Ken, and we'll talk to you next time on thank Film you. Study. Birdland Sports. For fans, by fans. Find more great shows like this at birdlandsports.com. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go, every day giftable, every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification, and they're satisfying to scratch no matter the outcome. 
Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch. Now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.